So let's start. Second uh, Kings chapter six, verse one says, now the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, see the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. Then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Let's stop there for a moment. Um, we we uh, begin this chapter with a problem. There's a problem that's presented to Elisha, uh, but it's a good problem. It's not a bad problem. It's, it's a good problem. The housing for the prophets, well, the prophets have grown in number, and, uh, and it's not large enough. It just doesn't fit everyone. They had outgrown their present one with Elisha, and so they were respectfully asking Elisha for permission to build another dwelling for them to stay in by the Jordan River. These were prophets that were being trained up by Elisha under his teaching, his leading. And Elisha, when he was, when he was um, approached and asked if this would be Possible, gave them permission to do as they wished and was asked to go with them. And he agreed to go. It's a a simple introduction to what we have here. But you see a relationship that one in which the it's it's the the people, his pupils, those who were studying under him, um, had a wonderful respect for for him. And for him, I love how it was that he it was so easy for him to say, absolutely, he immediately understood that and agreed that there there was no no room there was we were running out of room it's grown in number so it's you see even in this exchange that there was a a great relationship between the teacher and the student ministry is going well expansion is necessary to accommodate their daily living needs and so they asked and so it was i love how it is that God is faithful. He certainly provides. And this is why I see it time and time again. If God is in it, he will provide. So where God guides, God provides, right? And he certainly does. He's, been, he's shown himself faithful in that aspect throughout the years that we've been a church. And, uh, and as I look back at the, at the years with my family, it's been no different. Where God guides, God provides, Elisha did not restrict or hinder expansion, and neither should any servant of the Lord. You know, oftentimes, um, you know, especially uh, when we're a small, intimate fellowship, you know, it's sweet. The fellowship is sweet. And, um, and, and the growth and just sharing together as a community, community of believers. But as the church grows, you know, uh, we, we start to say, ah, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to see it, you know, get to a certain size and it's like, you know, I, I remember uh, Chuck Smith. What was, what was his um, perfect number? Wasn't it 300? I think it was 300. 300 no more than 500, I think. And, and that's all he wanted. So you kind of laugh, right? Pastor Chuck Smith, as you see uh, the Calvary Chapel movement, and you see that, I mean, now I don't know how many churches there are throughout the world. And uh, even the, the fellowship that he was a senior pastor of grew to thousands of people. So it's it's quite funny, and I'm sure he would he would have a chuckle um, over his initial perspective and desire for for the size of the church and how it is that the Lord had the last word, and so that's what we need to we need to be flexible with the Lord and know that whatever it is that the Lord desires to do, um, that we should be willing to go along with them because we're merely servants of the Lord. We need to remember that we are participating. In God's work as he is doing, as he wills, we need to be discerning and willing to follow and work as he leads. You know, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. This is speaking of Jesus. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then I'm also reminded of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, 
which says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So being mindful of that, it gives us a different perspective as far as um, his work is concerned, as far as his ministry is concerned, because it's his ministry. We are simply participants. We are co-laborers with Christ. And I'm sure that for Elisha, that was no different. In that time, in that day, he simply knew that the, that the Lord, God, was leading and he was simply following. And so Elisha agreed to the expansion project that was brought to his attention, needed to happen, and he went with them as he was invited to go with them. But something interesting happened while they were cutting timber to build. Verse 5, as we continue, said, But as one was felling a log... His axe, head fell, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. <laughs> interesting, interesting things happen when serving the Lord. But this one has to be one of those, like, is, this is quite amazing, right? I mean, could, could you imagine being uh, a witness to this? One of the men was chopping trees, or maybe he was breaking down some of the wood and preparing it so that it would be good for building. And just as that, in that perfect, have you ever, have you ever had an axe and the head, like, flew off? Has that ever happened to anyone? No? Really? What? Okay. It's happened to me. Yeah, a few. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's a strange thing, though, right? When you're going in it and it just flies off, whether you're in the middle of a down or upswing, it doesn't matter. It just goes from heavy to light, and you know, wow, I hope it doesn't land on anyone. In fact, the Bible talks about it. If that happens and, and you do it unintentionally, right, then the, the Word of God talks about how to, um, how to handle that type of, of a situation. So in this day, though, no one got hit. Thank God no one got hurt. But it did go into the water. And as soon as it went into the water, this man that was chopping the wood, he cried out. He cried out because he had lost it in the water. But not only because he lost it in the water, but because it was borrowed. So... It wasn't even his. And so he was concerned. He told Elisha his concern. And Elisha did something that was absolutely amazing. So he cuts this stick. And he asks this, this man, where did you see it go into the water? He tells him where. He dropped about right there. He takes a stick and he throws it in that place. What happens? The axe head comes right to the surface. <laughs> he just said, take it. Take it up. And he did. It's funny because Elisha responded as, as, as if this was exactly how this kind of a situation would be handled. Don't you find that kind of odd, you know, like funny, like... You know, this man tells Elisha, Elisha turns around, he goes, where did it fall? Breaks off his stick, throws it. The axe head floats to the, the, the surface, floating on the water. Just take it up, he takes it up. That's it. It's like, that, that's the whole thing to the, that's everything right there. Because this is one, one story that's being told, one event that's, that's just taken place. It, it's remarkable but Elisha acted in a nonchalant way, is the way I see this. It's implied. There is no way of explaining how this could have happened outside of it being a divine work of the Lord. That's it, period. With this, we also need to acknowledge the faith of Elisha. So it was a miracle, but we also look at Elisha. Elisha thought it was no big deal for God to do this. There's no formula here, by the way. It's not like if we drop something heavy into the water. That would have been great, though. Like, especially uh, doing some salvage work 
in the Navy, you know, when, uh, when things would fall into the water and we would be called to do a little search of that uh, item and have to recover it, that would have been great to throw a stick right over it and have it float to the top, right, and recovered. That would have been awesome. But, but what is too difficult for the Lord? Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. So you think about the faith of Elisha. You know, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, uh, they were talking about uh, a certain situation, why they couldn't um, cast the, the demons out of this man that was, that was possessed. For truly, he said, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Oftentimes what holds us back from experiencing God's miraculous work is a lack of faith. That's it, just a lack of faith. You know, it makes me think of certain situations and how it is that, you know, especially like in the medical field and seeing things happen in the hospital. You know, sometimes people are told one thing. And medically speaking, with doctor's background, the specialists, they see something and they think it's, it's impossible. There's no way. And yet a person not only recovers, but they recover fully. Um, there's just different things that happen. You can perhaps think of your own life and things that weren't supposed to happen the way they did, and yet they did. There's no, there's no explanation There's nothing that you could point to and say, well, of course, you know, this is why it happened. As I look back, it's just inexplicable. If we truly believe that with God all things are possible, then really we ought to pray expressing that belief. And we also ought to live like we believe this, without any doubt, without any fear. You know, Joshua 1.9 God was speaking to Joshua, and he said, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. And so Elisha, we know, was a man of faith, and he did what he did, believing that the axe head would indeed come up to the surface. And it did. And the man simply reached out his hand And he took it. Verse 8, as we continue, is another event where in in verse 8 it says, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Now, <clears throat> as we look back, we've, we've uh, studied a little bit the life of Elisha. We know that Elisha was not a man um, who was supportive of corrupt leadership in, in Israel. We know that he wasn't uh, friendly uh, with the king and was not a direct counselor of the king. But Elisha wasn't dumb either. He also did not want Israel's enemies to defeat Israel. So, he knew to pass along information as the Lord gave it to him regarding the movements of Israel's enemies and what they intended to do. That only gave more value, more validity um, to the word of God. You know, as, as there is warning and, and so it happens... What happens is that that, that, that person starts to give uh, a, a more significant place in their lives uh, for God. And they have a tendency to, to, again, as I said earlier, you be in that right place with the Lord. Stand on the side of righteousness because it's at those points where they see God's truth uh, being fulfilled that they'll come back to you and ask you questions. It only gives God a greater position in their lives. And some people respond to that. 
And so this is what Elisha was doing. He was passing along, as God would reveal to him, the movements of Syria to the king of Israel. And so not once or twice, several times, um, they, they took advantage of this divine knowledge that God had given Elisha, and he passed along to the king of Israel as to what the king of Syria was doing. Now, this was confirmed to be true by the present king of Israel, King Jehoram, as he sent his men to see if what Elisha said was true or not. So he would send a few men to find out if this was true, and indeed it was true. This happened several times. And this is another example of how God worked through Elisha on this occasion, giving him divine knowledge of the details of the plans of the king of Syria. Again, this is another example of a unique divine work that God was doing in and through Elisha. Verse 11 continues saying, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Well, if you were the king of Syria, you'd be frustrated too. You'd be wondering how in the world is Israel finding out where it is that we're moving, how it is that we're assembling ourselves uh, to come against Israel. Of course he would think that there was a mole within the ranks of his men, right? There has to be someone that's betraying me. There has to be someone who is uh, conducting a little espionage and going back to the king of Israel and telling him everything that we are doing. But when he demanded that the identity of this traitor be revealed, one of his servants told him, No, my Lord, it's, it's none of us. It's Elisha. It's this prophet of Israel. This is the one who's making it known to the king of Israel. This had to be bewildering to the king, shocking to the king. Because the servant described Elisha's words to the king of Israel as being so detailed that it was as if Elisha was physically in his bedroom when the king spoke and planned his movements and attack on Israel. Wherever you are, whatever room you're in, planning, strategizing, making these deals, you know, know, making sure everything goes according to plan. Wherever you are, he has so many details that it's as if he was standing with you. So, of course, naturally, the king ordered that Elisha be found and seized. He is the enemy. He's the one that's making it known to the king of Israel. And he didn't send just a few men. He sent horses and chariots and a whole army. He sent them and they came by night and they surrounded the city, the city of Dothan. They had it surrounded. There was no way of escape. I was thinking he apparently took a chance, hoping that God would not reveal this to Elisha that he was sending all these men to apprehend him. But remember that God doesn't reveal everything. He has a plan and a purpose for every single uh, circumstance that we are confronted with. And so we pray for discernment. Because God was doing, in this case, another special work, both in the life of Elisha and Elisha's servant, as we will see, and in the protection of Israel and in the eyes of Syria All of this, we'll we'll see how it all unfolds. Remember, what others mean for evil, God can and desires to use it for good. Romans 8.28, I remind you of this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I remind you of the story of Joshua. And how it was that, that Joshua, even at, at the end of Genesis, in, Ge- in Genesis 50, where his brothers were all fearful because dad 
uh, had died and they thought for sure Joseph is now going to take us out. He's going to take all of us out. And he told them, am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, God meant for good to save us. And so that's how we, that's the perspective that we ought to have. We ought to understand that God is working through every circumstance, every event in our lives. There's nothing that, that's wasted with the Lord. We just need to keep our eyes off ourselves, keep our eyes off of others, put them squarely on, on the Lord, and ask, what is it that you desire to do in this moment, through this event, through the, these circumstances that I find myself in? Because this is something different that the Lord was doing. He didn't reveal this to Elisha. He kept this from Elisha. And he allowed Dothan and Elisha and his servant to be surrounded by the enemies of Israel. So you guys ready? Because here here come some more absolutely amazing things. Verse 15 says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We'll stop for a moment. The, the servant got up early in the morning. You know, I, you can when you get up early in the morning and you go out, right... Kind of, you have all that land, Troy. You know, you, you know, you go outside and you look out. <laughs> how, how many acres you got? Only six and a half. But then he's surrounded by so much more, right? Imagine going out to the country, going out, right? But but you you see, you see all around in, in this this servant, uh, this this uh, pupil, um, this intern of Elisha. He came out. And he stretches out, kind of gives a little yawn. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking this in my own mind. And he looks up, and he's in shock. He's in absolute shock. He is dismayed to see the Syrian army surrounding the whole city of Dothan. That would be shocking. He sees a whole army with horses and chariots. It would be as if today we saw an army around us. With tanks, with Humvees, with MRAPs, with some Black Hawk helicopters all surrounding. They're all just stationed all, all around. What would you think? It would be because that would be the equivalent today. What do you have? <laughs> I have a slingshot. Maybe that'll work. In other words, they, he knew at that very moment, we are no match against this army. No match. So he immediately turns around and he asks, Elisha, what shall we do? I love this. The first thing that Elisha said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid? What, what do you mean, do not be afraid? Anyone in, in my position right now would be filled with fear. And, and who could say that that's the wrong Thing to express. Don't we insist on that today? Don't we? Church, we do that. We see the circumstances that surround us, and immediately we go to a, a certain emotion. And yet the Bible says something completely different. And we say, No, I am entitled. I am entitled to this emotion, I am entitled to this feeling. I'm entitled to work this out and hold on to it as long as I possibly can. And God says, no. The servant of Elisha could have insisted, who would not fear? Well, of course. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. But it's action in spite of fear. Do not be afraid. Is the first thing that Elisha told him why. Because he knew that he feared. In his heart he feared. 
his expression implied that he had a fear. And fear paralyzes. Fear will distort reality. Fear will cause you to believe things that are not true. And so the first thing that God tells us when we're filled with fear is, don't fear. You know, when Jesus would show up, this is after the resurrection, and he'd show up in a room that had doors that were closed, all four walls. Do not fear. Peace be with you, is what he would tell his disciples. Don't be afraid. Secondly, he said, those who are with us are far more than those who are with them. In that moment when Elisha told the servant that, did he see anything? Not at all. But Elisha told him, those who are with us are more than are with them. You know, at that moment, Joshua 1.9 could have been spoken to Elisha, and in a very real way, it was. Again, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Um. There was uh, something that was written by uh, some Christians in Afghanistan Afghanistan just a a few days ago. They knew that if they weren't pulled out, that they were going to be executed. And yet, their response to that was praising and worshiping the Lord. And it's written out. I have a a picture of that screenshot of, of the actual note that was sent out. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Elisha wanted this man to know that. The Lord wants you and I to know that. To stand confidently with the Lord. To not fear any man. To not fear anything. To stand with the Lord. Because as the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he said, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There is so much to learn from people that God used in this way. Because how Elisha responded demonstrated his faith in the Lord, in God's capacity to deliver him. So Elisha spoke what was true, even if the servant could not see with his own eyes what Elisha was saying. The servant knew they were in imminent danger and surely would perish. But Elisha knew his God and that they would not. You see, God's word is always, always a real true hope, a genuine hope, even if it can't be seen or understood by someone. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. If hope in God's word was determined by whether someone believed it or not, then it wouldn't be true for everyone. But God's word is constant and true always. Our opinion or lack of faith doesn't make it any different. So Elisha's hope was in the Lord, and he made a statement of truth, and then he prayed. Verse 17 is that prayer. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha simply asked the Lord to open the eyes of his servant so that he could see what he saw. I want him to see what I see. And God, simply with that prayer, again, a prayer of faith, he just asked him, and the Lord responded, and he saw, this young man saw, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And again, notice, if you you pay attention to Elisha, 
Elisha doesn't seem to flinch. He doesn't hesitate at all. He never doubted God's existence or his faithfulness or his ability to deliver him. Elisha never asked why God would allow such circumstances, and he never asked God to change his circumstances, but only to reveal himself in the midst of the circumstances, knowing that God is faithful and God is able. Notice also that Elisha did not explain how this was true, but simply stated that it was true. And then ask God to reveal it to the servant. That's all, that's all he did. He knew it was true. Because this is something that God can only do. Open the eyes of someone to see beyond the physical. To see what is happening spiritually. Something that's happen, happening in the heavenlies. Listen, you can tell someone over and over. Someone who's filled with anxiety, worry. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But unless they believe and receive it by faith, they really don't possess it. And they don't know it personally. That's why I said... We can feel like we're entitled to remain in that that place of whatever feelings we're going, we're experiencing in the moment. We can insist on that. And, And yet the Lord is telling us just as Elisha was used by the Lord to tell the servant, do not be afraid. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to give you a moment. Take some deep breaths. Let me explain to you the faithfulness of God. He didn't tell him that. He said, do not be afraid. The same way that Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 6, and says, do not be anxious about anything. Listen, whether you see whether you understand, whether you believe it or not, it's a statement of truth. Truth, which is reality, is never determined by the unfaithful or unbelieving. It is reality, and the one who believes it perceives rightly what is true according to God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Whether you believe that the angels are ministering agents to the saints or not is not the question because this is a statement of truth. It's what God has declared. And we need to understand that God can dispatch a whole army of angels to minister, to do work that our eyes cannot see. But we need to see by faith that that is true. Why? Because God simply said, and that's good enough. The Lord has more to do through Elisha, a man who believed. Verse 18 says, And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. Um, This is another interesting portion of this story because as the Syrian army came down from the hills, remember they had horses and chariots and uh, the whole army came down from having surrounded the whole city of Dothan. And and as they were coming down, uh, Elisha prayed, prayed for a blindness to overcome them, strike this people with blindness. And the Lord simply did. He, he listened to the prayer of Elisha and he blinded them. You see, there's no better teacher than to see what has been taught in the classroom, exercised outside the classroom in real life applications. It's one thing to sit here and to go through scripture and to learn it and to be filled with knowledge, but it's quite another to actually apply it in everyday life. 
uh, in different events, circumstances that you find yourself in. That, that's really when someone is, is observing you. And trust me, people are watching. And when they watch, they wonder if you are true to your faith. If, if what you preach is what you practice. Are you trusting in the Lord in that circumstance? Or are you breaking down? Are you falling apart as if there is no God? Are, are you at this point filled with worry? Your life was all awesome up to this point. There, there was no care in your life. And now that you're faced with this difficult situation, are you expressing a belief in what you preached or are you failing in that? Because again, there's no better teacher than to see what has been taught in the classroom exercised outside the classroom in real life applications. And, and this is what the servant of Elisha was getting. What are the people around you getting? When they look to you, what are they getting? Are you still excusing it? That's just the way I am. Well, then there's the work of sanctification. The, the Lord is, is molding you and shaping you, should be purifying you, should be making you a, a person gentle in spirit, meek, and yet strong and confident in the Lord. There's, there's this humility, but at the same time, there, there's this tenacity about you, this perseverance in the Lord that is unshakable. You are immovable. Trusting the Lord, clinging to Him by your faith. Well, Elisha could have escaped, but he instead fooled them into thinking that he would take them to the man that they were seeking and led them to, to Samaria. Again, this is just an interesting situation because who was it that they were looking for? Elisha, wasn't it him? <laughs> so he, he struck them with blind. The Lord struck them with blindness to the point to where they, they couldn't figure out who was before them. Guys, I know who you were looking for. I'll lead you to them. <laughs> and Elisha led them to the capital of Israel. So from Dothan, he just went north a little bit to Samaria, the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. And he brought them. Now, they at this, uh, the night before, were surrounding Elisha in the city of Dothan. Now he takes them to Samaria and they are surrounded by the enemies of Syria, Israel. He took them right to the capital. He took them right to the king. It seems as if these men perhaps may not have been totally blinded, either that or they held on to each other's arms, but they, could, they just couldn't tell who this man was before them. But somehow they were able to follow Elisha. But just as Elisha's servant could not see the Lord's army, the Syrian army could not see that the man who was speaking to them was indeed Elisha, whom they sought. And Elisha led them right into the hands of Israel, straight into Samaria. Verse 20, as we continue, says, As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes. And they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. In, in many ways, this on the surface could be confusing. It may have been confusing to the people who were dealing, like experiencing this in the moment. Confusing to Syria as to how they were fooled into traveling to Samaria and to enemy territory. Can you imagine? Lord, give them sight now. They were given their sight, and they, they realize that they're in Samaria, that they're surrounded by Israel. That'd be confusing, no? 
Confusing to Jehoram because the enemy was within their grasp and figured that they were handed over for total destruction, but was told not to. Wait a minute, but this is the enemy. Am I not to destroy the enemy right, right here and right now? We have him right here. But instead, as the king asked Elisha what he should do, Elisha told him to treat them kindly as he would prisoners. Feed them, give them he told them bread and water. They gave him a feast. And the Syrians saw how easily they were led into the hands of Israel by the same God that had, had divulged the king of Syria's battle plans to Elisha and to Israel. I mean, these men that were sent were, apparently, they had some sense. They experienced this and they realized we're in the midst of the enemy and how easily... The same God that revealed all the battle plans of our army to Elisha now allowed this one man to take horses, chariots, a whole army into the presence of the king of Israel just like that? That is truly amazing. What is too difficult for God? Nothing. The Syrians understood this, and it says here that they did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So they stopped coming in to um, wreak havoc on on the small towns of of Israel. We would pray the same for any of God's enemies as they attempt anything against God's people or his plans and work. I, I pray that all the time. May you confuse the enemy. May you keep them at bay. May you protect. May you continue to provide. May you do the work. In whatever way you want, Lord, I, it's, it's not up to me, but confuse them. Lead them away. Reveal their plans. Give us their details, the details of their scheme, so that we may be prepared. Remember that Israel would go and confirm. And it benefited Israel. So, so we pray for that. I pray for that all the time. We ought to do that for our, for our own marriages, our own homes, our, our church and ministry here. What's happening? No one and nothing is greater than God. We ought to know that, believe that, and live it out. You know, Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Verse 24 says, Afterwards, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of of a cab of of doves dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? from the threshing floor or from the winepress. And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall. And the people looked, and behold... He had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. So even though we see how it is that the group that had gone to look for Elisha uh, were not coming again to conduct raids on Israel, We know that the heart of the king did not change towards Israel. And so this this hard heart, this man who had a hatred for Israel, made a plan to besiege the city of Samaria, and he caused this caused a terrible famine, as we see described here. This this is what's described in the events that we read here, the details of that famine. The king of Syria stopped all traffic coming in and out of the city. 
Normally to besiege a city is to shut down all incoming water sources, food sources, and anything that would meet their needs to the point of starvation, demoralizing the people. And this would eventually lead to a surrender or a quick defeat when the weakened people were attacked. That was the whole purpose of it. To just, it might be a, a fortified city that could be easily defended if you attack it directly. But hey, cut off all, all supplies, cut off water, cut off food, cut off everything. Don't let them come in and out. What will happen is the people will be weakened. A famine will take place. And they will be completely demoralized. And at some point, the enemy can just walk through the gates and the people will just fall at their feet because they are their Savior. We can draw a lot of of parallels there. But the Lord allowed this. Listen, we know that God warned amply. God warned time and time again that if Israel disobeyed, they would eventually be disciplined, even to the point of being taken captive or knowing famine or defeat by their enemies. He warned. He, he, he warns time and time again. His word does not change. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. They are the ones who had rejected God. They were the ones that had turned their backs on Him. And instead of confessing and repenting, the King of Israel did a little blame shifting. That's what He did. Oh, He appeared to be in a state of grief, of of mourning. Sackcloth underneath his, his clothes. Oh, it, it looked real good. But when he started to speak, out of the, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you do? He was just angry toward Elisha, the man of God, the prophet and servant of God. Blamed him. Pride and arrogance will blind a person. A person who's drunk with power, position. Because it is sin and is a position that a person takes of turning away from the Lord. The Lord. The Lord disciplines. The Lord is just. The king swore something he won't be able to deliver on, but his words will come back on him. Verse 32 says, Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So the king sent this messenger for Elisha. But Elisha knew they were coming and told the men with him, You secure the door, make sure you hold it. Um... The messenger spoke what the king had told him to say. And it revealed that his anger was against Elisha and it was against God. That, that's where his anger was. Again, you, you see the contrast. And I want to make this very clear. The contrast between Elisha and the king of Israel. Elisha didn't get upset with the circumstances that he found himself in. But his trust was in the Lord. He knew that his Lord could deliver him from anything. On the other hand, the king of Israel, he was not a man of faith. He was not someone who trusted in the Lord. And this was a man 
who was confused. He, had, he was not in his right mind, and he wanted to blame everyone else. And he did not take credit himself. He looked good, but his words expressed and revealed his heart. This was a, a moment that the Lord did reveal to Elisha, hey, there's someone for you coming for you. He revealed to Elisha what the king desired to do. Elisha discerned correctly that the king was murderous and did not simply allow the king to do something that was evil and unrighteous. Otherwise, Elisha would have just left the doors open, allowing the messenger and the men to come in and take him. But he didn't do that. He defended himself in the Lord, and next week we'll find out how this all continues to work out. So we stop here. Listen, in all of this, that, that's why I was, as I went through this, and I was deeply encouraged. Brothers and sisters, stand on the side of righteousness. Stand with God. Know that He is faithful. He is able He is the great I am. What do you need? He will provide. What do you need? He is. Are you fully trusting in him? Do not be half-hearted, for the half-hearted person will be filled with fear and doubt and anxiety and worry and concern that will be overwhelming, paralyzing the person from acting in faith and exhibiting courage in the Lord. Listen, God is faithful. His word is true. Do not fear. Believe and know that with God, all things are possible. Pray and live with confidence in the Lord. Father, we, we confess that, Lord, we are not perfect in our expression of our faith in you. Lord, even if we do have faith, even if we are confident in you, Lord, it, Lord, we need, we need more. We need to express more. We need to be more consistent in our trusting in you, Lord, just simply responding to your word and Lord, in living it out in our own lives. I ask, Lord, that we would be mindful of also not, not just for, for our sake, but also for the sake of others, Lord. We, we want to be encouragers. We want to be those, those people who, who demonstrate a faith in you, that others would be encouraged to also express their faith in you, that they trust you, Lord, that you are able to deliver from anything, no matter how overwhelming the odds are. It really doesn't matter. Because Elisha was in a situation where the odds were against him. It would, They were overwhelming. Yet, Lord, there was was truly more with him than there were with them, with the other people, with the enemies. So, Father, may we always remember that. To be strong and courageous, knowing that you are with us wherever we go. Thank you, Father, for this time of studying your word. And I pray, Lord, that these truths would resonate in our hearts and you would remind us of them often. In Jesus' name we pray.